Well, yeah, we've been looking uh, post-Easter at Jesus' encounters after the resurrection. He actually showed up to over 500 people, but we've been looking at some of his closest followers and how the resurrection changed the way they struggled with some of the same things we struggle with. And today we're talking about overcoming failure. So I want to tell you two stories of failure. The first is that of Simon Peter. You know, Simon Peter was a a brash, zealous, kind of shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy. He was a fisherman by trade. And when he first met Jesus, he had been out fishing all night long and had had caught donuts, zeros, not Krispy Kremes. And he, uh, Jesus comes along and he and his business partners, James and John, are washing their nets And Jesus asks if he can borrow Simon's boat. And he gets in the boat and casts off a little. And crowds come down. He starts to teach them. And afterwards, he looks at Simon. He says, Simon, let's go fishing. And uh, Simon Peter uh, says, "Uh, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch Jack. Nothing. Which probably impressed Jesus. Because here's a fisherman admitting he didn't catch anything. Doesn't often happen, right? But they get in the boat. They sail out to sea. And Jesus says, put down your nets. They put down the nets and they're so full of fish they can't even drag them in. And Simon Peter is like, you are the long-awaited Messiah. And he decides to follow Jesus after that, but failure followed him. So Peter overheard Jesus a few years later talking about how he was going to be turned over to the Roman authorities and crucified. But Peter knew better than Jesus. (laughs) he said, not you, Lord. No, I won't let it happen. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have God's interest in mind, but your own interest. Ouch. I mean, what's the worst thing you've been called? I've been called some bad things. You know, spawn of Satan, yeah. Son of an Aggie, that one's true, actually. (laughs) But imagine Jesus looking you in the eyes and calling you the very mouthpiece of evil. I mean, failure, right? And then uh, a a year later, Peter gets caught arguing with the other 12 disciples about who's going to have the highest cabinet position in the new administration of King Jesus. And Jesus looks and goes, you've totally missed it, guys. You want to be great in my administration? Become a servant. Failed again. And he kept failing. The night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus asked him, To do one simple thing, Peter, James, John, just stay awake and pray for me. I'm troubled. They kept falling asleep, failed again. And then when Jesus gets arrested, Peter in his zeal pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and Jesus has to rebuke him. Peter, what are you doing? Whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. Failed, failed, failed. But there was one way Peter swore he would not fail. In fact, that night at the Passover, at the Last Supper, Peter said, there's one way I will never fail you, Lord. I will never deny you, never betray you. I will die before I do that. And so when they arrested Jesus, everyone fled, but Peter followed. And he ended up in in the courtyard down below the palace where they were trying Jesus. And and the night wore on and the cold got to him and there was a a charcoal fire around which some of the soldiers and some of the people who had come to condemn Jesus were standing. He was so cold, he, he warmed up to it a little bit when a girl looks at him and says, hey, you're one of his followers. 
in fear. He said, I am not. And he walks away from the fire so he won't be noticed. And another girl walking by says, yeah, I recognize you. You are one of his disciples. He said, I don't even know him. And he turns and tries to get away. And someone else says, we can tell you're a follower of the Galilean. Listen to his hick Galilean accent. And Peter swears, I bleep and don't even know the man. The rooster crows, just as Jesus had predicted. Failure, failure, failure. Second story of a, na- a man named Judas, who was also a follower of Jesus. He was also on the inner 12 along with Peter. And, and Judas was actually trusted by Jesus even more than Peter. He was given the role of treasurer, keeper of the money. And Judas also had seen Jesus do miraculous, amazing things. He had come to believe that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And like Peter, he had left all to follow Jesus. And along the way, he too failed. Turns out he was taking money, stealing money, never admitted it. And like Peter, he also decided he knew what was best for Jesus. See, he knew the Messiah was going to be this military ruler who would throw off their Roman oppressors. But after three and a half years, he was getting tired of waiting. Come on, Jesus, act. And just like Peter, Jesus decided he knew best how Jesus should be and do what he should do. And so, just like Peter, he betrayed him. Maybe hoping to force a confrontation with Rome so Jesus would use his miraculous power to deliver them from the Roman government. Just like Peter, Judas failed. Yet there's a Grand Canyon-sized difference in the way they failed. One started over, the other stayed stuck. Peter started over again and again and again. And he became the rock. That was the nickname uh, that that. Jesus actually gave him, and he never professionally wrestled, just in case you're confused. The rock comes from the word Peter. Peter means rock. Jesus gave him that nickname. Judas didn't start over. He stayed stuck, and in his shame, killed himself for his failure. Now, all of us fail. We all get stuck. The question is, do we stay stuck, or do we start over? And and there are two ways that we can stay stuck. The first is denial. It's the person who says, who, me, fail? Never. That person stays stuck. If we can't admit that all of us sin, we fail, we, we disappoint God, we disappoint ourselves. But if we can't admit that, we can't receive the grace of God. And this was the sin of the Pharisees. Jesus kept telling them, you don't have the love of God, you don't have love for people, but they denied it. Their pride wouldn't let them admit it. And if pride won't let you admit your need for God's forgiveness, for God's leadership, you can't grow from your failures. But there are other ways we can get stuck. As as Christians, you know, maybe you're stuck in that you've lost that first love for God, that radical willingness, you know, to to trust Christ with everything. Maybe you've lost that sense of, of adventure and relationship and replaced it with just comfortable routine. You know, life has become safe and predictable and in your control. But you know, relationship with God is a wild journey of change. God doesn't ever lead us into comfort. He leads us to become more like him, which requires us to stretch and grow and change into uncomfortable places where we 
share our faith or serve with our gifts or lead others across cultures or love people that we don't right now love? Have you failed to let God stretch you and grow you? Well, whether you deal with that failure with, with denial or with honesty and willingness, that's critical to whether you stay stuck. Shame is a second way that we stay stuck. You know, some of us fail morally or spiritually and we feel bad about it. And in fact, we feel so bad, we feel like we are bad. We're uniquely bad. And in fact, we, we heap on the guilt and punish ourselves so much and we believe that we are actually beyond the grace of God. We failed too badly. We're beyond God's ability to forgive. So we won't take the offer of God's grace. And that was Judah's failure ultimately. Shame. The sin of Judas, quite honestly, was no more treacherous than Peter's or yours or mine. We've all rebelled against God. We've all betrayed God the creator, the one who has the right to call the shots in life. And we've gone our own way. The grace of God was just as available to Judas as it was to Peter or to you or me. But Judas pushed it away. And see, both denial and shame are sins of pride. Denial is saying, I'm too good to do wrong. I'm the judge of right and wrong, not God. But shame is a sin of pride too. It's saying, I'm too bad for God to help me. Not even God can redeem me. God is wrong. I'm right. See, it's the same thing. It's all about me. I'm God. Pride. Friends, pride is the only thing that can keep us stuck. Some of us here this morning, we've been spiritually stuck. Maybe you've you failed miserably and, and you've known it. And as a result, you've turned your back on God. It made it easier to deal with the guilties. But you're tired of being stuck, aren't you? And, and if there is a possibility of a relationship... Don't you want it? And maybe you're afraid you'll fail God again. You'll, you'll let him down again and so you stay away. But it's not about you. It's not about you and what you can do. It's about God and how much he loves you. And if you're ready to start over, listen very carefully today. God wants you free. Maybe some of you here have been following Christ for a long time, but you keep failing and you're very aware of your sin over and over Again, you feel stuck in this pattern or, or this addiction, but you cannot believe the lie that you can't overcome. You can overcome, but you have to learn to fail forward, see? Just like a child learning to walk falls and gets up and, and, and then walks a little more and falls, but eventually really walks and eventually runs, you can too. That's what God wants to do in you. But to do this, you have to stop seeing failure through your own eyes. You have to start seeing it through God's eyes. See, God sees our failure very differently than we do. Let me give you an illustration of, of God's ways. Let's say one Saturday morning, you're out walking your dog and you get out on your driveway and just then you see the neighbor a couple of doors down, the 15-year-old kid slams the door and goes rushing out of the house, screaming profanity, gets in his parent's car and you know for a fact he doesn't have a driver's license and you know for a fact that there's been trouble in that house for a while and he backs the car out and then next thing he punches it he slams his foot down in the accelerator and it's a tesla 
Yeah, zero to 60 in what, three seconds? And that thing gets out of control and it starts to swerve and you can barely see his eyes over the dashboard and he loses control. Before you know it, the car's headed almost straight at you. It jumps the curb, swerves again, bam, right into your car. The dust settles. Kid gets out of the car wide-eyed and terrified. You have three options of how you can deal with them. The first is justice. You say, kid, you messed up bad. I'm calling the police. They'll cite you for driving without a license. You won't get your license till you're 69. I'm going to call your parents. You're going to have to get a job and you're going to pay for every bit of damage to my yard and car. Now, if you did this, you wouldn't be a bad person. You would actually just be giving the kid what he justly deserves. That's justice, right? In Ephesians chapter 2 that I want to look at today, says God is just in, in giving us a similar thing. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin, just constantly going our own way, not even thinking about God's way, just like the rest of the world. You know, death just means separation. This is talking about spiritual death, spiritual separation from the very source of life and love and everything good from God. And death or separation from God is just it's what we wanted. We wanted to be, we, God, leave me alone. I'm going to be God. And he gives us that. It's what we get justly for rebellion against the creator. It's like making the kid pay the full consequences of, the, of his sin. However, you might choose a second option, mercy. Mercy is giving somebody a little less than they deserve. You could say, kid, I should call the police and you'll never get a driver's license. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk to your parents, and we're going to have to work out a way to pay for all this damage. Now, you've given him less than he deserves. He should be grateful for that because you've given him less punishment than is justly deserved. Ephesians 2 goes on and says, but God is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead that first Easter. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united, Christ Jesus. See, God's so rich in mercy. What he was doing that first Easter was making a way not just to give us less punishment, but to give us life in the place of death. And God even went further than that. He chose a third option that you too could choose with this kid. But it's much riskier and relationally way more costly, and it could totally blow up in your face. You could show grace. You could say, kid, you screwed up bad. You destroyed my yard and my car. If I went to the police, you'd never get your license. I'm not gonna do that. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm gonna sick your parents on you. Because I can pay for all this damage, but I'm more concerned about you and where this is leading. I tell you what, how about you and I go grab breakfast? I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear your story. And I want to tell you some of mine and some things I've learned the hard way. And maybe you can learn from them. What do you say? And he's shocked. And he nods, okay. You say, just one thing, I'm driving, right? <laughs> now, when you hear that, what do you think? Ridiculous, ludicrous. He could totally take advantage of you. Like he, he could go do it again the next week and it could be someone else's car or someone's life. 
Yeah, grace is risky like that. Grace is pretty crazy, quite honestly. Because it risks relationship where there should be justice. Ephesians 2 says God saved you or set you right related with himself by his grace when you believed, when you just trusted. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. See, grace has given you and me something we totally didn't deserve. Just the opposite. And that's the scandal of grace. It takes a risk relationally. But it's also possible that if you gave grace to that kid, that relationship and you being able to guide him could just change the trajectory of his life forever. And that's what God risks on you and me and everyone who will enter into relationship with him by grace. That's what he was doing that first Easter through Jesus. See, grace is the reason God sees our failures differently. You ever put on sunglasses that are, you know, like colored sunglasses? And it changes the the tone and the color of everything, doesn't it? And it's like when we receive God's grace, it's like he puts on the lenses of grace eternally to see us through. When, when once our, our sin and our failures separated us from him, now through the lens of grace, he eternally sees that all those failures can be now opportunities for us to grow in relationship with him, to trust him more, to let him grow us up into the people he intended us to be. Something we totally don't deserve. But if you take it, it changes everything. Scripture says this. We all stumble in many ways. That's all of us. Every single one of us. In fact, why don't we just level the playing field? Why don't you just turn to the person you came with or someone next to you and say, welcome to the failure club. Just tell them, welcome to the failure club. You're in it. But we can fail forward. Hear that. With grace, we can fail forward. In God's eyes, the only way to truly fail is your pride. If your pride keeps you from failing forward with God. See, failure is not an event. It's a judgment about an event. And getting unstuck is never about you. It's always about the grace of God. For it is by grace, not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Think about that. You don't earn a gift, do you? (laughs) You don't have to go work for a gift. You just either receive it or you reject it. And this is relationship with God. And let me just ask you, have you received the free gift of relationship with God? That's what he did that first Easter when Jesus paid for all our wrongs on the cross. So he could look eternally through the lens of grace at you. But you have to receive it. Have you told him, that's what I want? That's what we mark today with baptism. You know, baptism is just this outward sign that we died with Christ, but he's cleansed us. And we've accepted that gift. And if you've never accepted that gift and marked it with baptism, why not do it today? And then you know you're right with him. We enter relationship with God by grace. But it's not meant to stop there. God wants to make us into his work of art by grace. Look at what it goes on to say in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork or masterpiece is another way this is translated created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do 
See, God forgives us so that we can walk with him in relationship. And as we trust him in his grace, as we live in his grace, which means that in his grace, we don't have to fear failure. We don't have to fear people's opinion. We don't have to fear anything. We can grow through them. But are you living in grace? Are you letting your failures stop you? Are you letting busyness or self-centeredness keep you stuck? Let him change you. Let him grow you up into the beautiful masterpiece he created you to be. Living in grace does that. So let me tell you what happened to Peter. After he denied his best friend, who he knew to be the Messiah, he, you know, he, he fled in fear after Jesus was crucified, but then he saw the risen Jesus there in Jerusalem, as we've talked about. But he still felt unworthy, like surely I'm disqualified now. And he followed the other 11 back to Galilee because Jesus had said to go there, and they went back to fishing. And one night they're out fishing and they catch nothing all night. And as the dawn comes up, they hear a voice on the shore say, hey boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? Has a little sting in it for fishermen. They had to admit it. No, we haven't. What's your point, voice? He says, let down the nets on the right side of the boat. Curious, they do it. It's so full they can't pull it in. And then it hits. They recognize the voice. It's Jesus. And Peter's heart starts thumping. And in his zeal, he dives over the side. And he swims in. And there, he sees another charcoal fire. Just like the one where he stood around and betrayed his master, who he now sees standing there risen. There are fish on the fire already. And I'm sure Peter, something in him probably wanted to run back to the boat and, and sail away, right? Because this fire just reminded him of his failure. But he bellied up to the fire and he faced his failure. And after breakfast, Jesus looked at Peter and he asked him a question. Simon, he calls him by his formal name, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Interestingly, Jesus used the word agape, the unconditional love of God. Simon, do you agape love me more than these? And Simon, realizing, you know, he's been zealous and bold, but now he realizes, man, I'm a failure. He can't even say agape. He says, Lord, you know I phileo, I brotherly love you. <laughs> it's a step down. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Jesus again said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? <laughs> we'll just take it down a notch. That's good enough, Simon. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Not really the question you expect on the heels of failure, is it? You expect, are you sorry for what you did? Do you promise you'll never do it again? Will you try harder next time? But these are the questions of relational grace, of a parent. Do you love me? And then Jesus says something even more important that you need to hear today. Reminds me 
story of a, a, a bright young executive from IBM who was, uh, went into his risky business venture, but ends up going south and he loses $10 million for the company. And uh, Thomas Watson Sr. calls him into his office. He was the founder who led IBM you know, for 40 years. Calls him into his office. The, the brash young executive comes in, but he's broken. And, he, and he's, he's remorseful and he goes, I know why you call me in your office. You want my resignation. Here I resign. And Tom Watson Sr. looks at him and he goes, you got to be kidding. I just invested $10 million in your education. I can't afford your resignation. Get back in the game. Jesus says to Peter, I just invested my very life in your education, your forgiveness. I can't afford your resignation. Do you love me? Get back in the game. Use your gifts to serve and spiritually develop others. You know, funny, Jesus asked Peter this question three times. Three times, Peter stood around a fire and denied him. Three times, Jesus lets Peter affirm his love. He restores him. And then he says, feed my sheep. You know, this guy Simon spiritually failed many times, but Jesus restored him each time, didn't he? And Peter did become the rock, you know, by failing forward. And over the next 30 years, Peter had a huge impact. In fact, he led the church forward in, in those early years and did great things for God. But it wasn't his last failure. Do you know that like 14 years after this Paul had to confront Peter. He failed again, but he kept learning from his failures. And you and I can too. As Christ followers, you don't ever stop learning from your failures. In fact, I, you know, I'll admit a couple weeks ago, I was speaking up here and I failed. I messed up. You know, I was, I was talking to uh, I was using an illustration about aliens from Mars and uh, I, I said a kind of a flippant joke that... Um, ended up being painful and hurtful uh, and, con and confusing to some people. And I actually violated one of my own principles. Uh, it wasn't wise. I violated my principle of, you know, making flippant comments about things that are, that are co complex and sensitive issues. I failed. And, uh, you know, your first reaction whenever you're confronted with failure is uh, to explain, to excuse, to deny, Right? And that was my first one. I was like, well, that wasn't what I meant at all. Didn't you understand what I was trying to say? And don't you know I'd been up in the hospital all weekend sleeping on a cot? That's true, but none of that does any good, does it? And so finally, uh, to the few people who came up and talked to me, which I so appreciated, I just apologized. I said, yeah, it was a mistake. I'm sorry. And I received grace. And you know what I remembered? I realized Grace lets us grow up in love for God, but also for each other. That's what grace does. It lets us grow up in love. So do you see yourself and your failures through God's eyes? Because Jesus is asking you, do you love me? Maybe the truth is you've been holding things back from him. You've been hiding and, and running or you keep going your way and you're not sure... You're willing to trust him. And he's asking you today, do you love me? Then trust me with this. Trust me. Does anybody love you more 
and they would lay down your li- their life for you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and now you, you've been on the sidelines. Maybe because you got hurt for a while. Maybe because you got stuck in just your own self-centered pursuits. But he's asking you, do you love me? Then get back in the game. Feed my sheep. You know, Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Which means if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be those who serve, right? If you're not serving, maybe that's what he's asking you. Do you love me? Get in the game. Serve with me. I came to serve. You serve too. Scripture says this to Christians. You've been believers so long now, you ought to be teaching others. You know, the truth is, if you've been a Christian five years and, and you're not teaching or leading others spiritually, get in a life group and learn how and, and, and answer his question. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Develop people spiritually. People is what he cares most about. Or maybe for you today is the day that you're ready to say yes to God's gift of relationship, of forgiveness and right standing with him. You know, Jesus said that all we have to do is respond with a simple yes in our hearts. That's what he did at Easter. He paid the price for all our sins so that if we simply turn back in love, he forgives and we're right with him forever. And then he commands us to be baptized because it's an outward sign of that inward profession of faith, that inward reality. And you know, I, why baptism? I think right here in Ephesians 2, it tells us one of the reasons. It matters to God. Ephesians 2, 7 says this. So God can point all these things he's doing by grace so he can point to us in all future ages. Listen to that. In all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. See, baptism is this beautiful symbol that we are united with Christ. That when you go down into the water, you're saying Jesus died and was buried for my sins. It should have been me. He did it for me. And I'm not ashamed to be identified with him because he identified with me hanging on a bloody cross. When you come up out of the water, you're symbolizing that just as the power of God raised Jesus to life, that I am given new life. I am cleansed past, present, and future. Nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. And God does that because he's pointing to you. I believe he's pointing to you in front of all the heavenly hosts saying, look, my son or daughter who has come home, who's come back. And you know what? He says he will be pointing to you for all future ages. There's something incredibly significant about one heart turning back to him and publicly professing it. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now. But first, let me lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Do you love me? God, thank you that that's the question you ask us. Gosh, we... We fear the question you ask is, will you stop screwing up so badly? (laughs) Will you promise to never do it again? Will you get your act together? But all you want to know is, will you love me and trust me and follow me? 
for I'm gentle and humble of heart, you said. And God, for some of us, we've never just told you that. We want your love. Thank you that you paid an extremely extravagant price, the life of Jesus, so that all of our sins that we justly deserve to pay for could be paid for. And if that's you and you've never told him, why don't you just tell him right now? God, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness. I want your love. I do love you. Just turn back in your heart. Tell him that. And then I would encourage you to mark that today with baptism. Go public with that inward decision that only you and God can see. So that God points and says, there's my son or daughter coming home to all the heavenly hosts for all ages. And God, for those of us who have been following you for a while, you ask us the same question. Do you love me? Just like you did to Peter. Then feed my sheep. Is there some place, Lord, that you're asking us to step out, maybe entrust you with something we've been holding back on to, to show our love for you, that we would let go of it, that we would trust you with it, even though we don't know the future. Or maybe it's stepping into some place that's going to get us out of our comfort zone or stretch us and sharing our faith or leading others or serving or whatever it might be. You ask, do you love me? As we sing this song, just do business and with, your, with God in your heart. How do you answer that question? Because he's alive today. He's here. He sees into our hearts. And he asks again, do you love me?